On today's show, we have Craig Norman from South Bend, Indiana. He's going to be talking to us about the consulting side of eye care on the OI show. Craig Norman, absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Um, you have, uh, to be very blunt, um, been one of probably the most influential people that I know in eye care. Um, a lot of the research, a lot of the uh, product development, a lot of the educational efforts that we now kind of just take for granted as kind of being there were um, really your brain child, were really kind of your creations to some level and, um, and what you've kind of done for the industry, in particular anterior segment disease, uh, advanced ocular surface disease, and also specialty contact lenses has been something really, really special. And you, you kind of continue to do that, Craig, um, with, with the museum. And, and if I could, Craig, ask you to expand a little bit more on exactly what that is for the viewers. Okay. Thank you, Mila. And first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. This is terrific what you guys are doing. Uh, the Contact Lens Museum was an initiative that my colleague and friend Pat Caroline and myself launched in the summer of uh, 2019. Uh, it's located in Forest Grove, right across from, right across from Pacific University. Uh, and it houses around 2,000 different artifacts related to the contact lens field and its development. Uh, and in particular, this is a big year because I think many of you know that uh, the year 2021 is the 50th anniversary of soft contact lenses. And there's a lot to do with that evolution that is being highlighted uh, at the museum and on the contactlensmuseum.org uh, website. That's great, Craig. Um, uh, we're going to put that in the show notes too, so everybody knows exactly how to access that as well. Uh, I think it was last year at GSLS that I, I think you guys had a booth on the museum as well there too, where you were highlighting some of the, I mean, just absolutely cool, cool, cool stuff. Um, if, if anything in eye care has the Craig Norman stamp of approval, I know, I know it's, I know it's good stuff. So, so thank you guys for pursuing that. Thank you guys for doing all that. Um, Sometimes we get so caught up in what's newest, latest, and greatest that we f forget to re-reflect on, on what the past has taught us. And sometimes we can learn just as much from looking where we were and how we kind of progressed. For sure. To, I can just interject for a Please. Is one of the things that's really interesting, if you look at the scleral lenses of 50 and 60 years ago, they aren't a hell of a lot different than the scleral <laughs> lens designs of today. And to me, that was really miraculous to see without their ability to understand as much about the ocular surface and primarily the scleral topography, that they were still able in the era of the 30s to 50s to come up with scleral lens yeah. products that were quite functional. Craig, I mean, just a little sidebar, what do you think has really caused this perpetuation of scleral lenses again? I mean, this is like, it's kind of everybody's talking about it right sure. now. You know, I get asked that question fairly often, and I think that the answer is really simple, Mele, and that is, is that scleral lenses have lived up to their promise hmm. in that what we tell patients is going to happen with scleral lenses does. Yeah. And, and there doesn't have to be any storytelling relative, mm -hmm. relative to them. It's very easy to explain them. And then with these patients who oftentimes are in horrific ocular situations, 
and or failures in previous contact lenses, their problems can literally go away at the end of an office visit through the use of a square lens. So, Craig, you know, it, it's interesting. We kind of evolve into the next segment here where, where I do want to pick your brain a little bit, and I want you to give us a little bit of your own history as well, too. But you've had this, this exceptional ability to create these um, really long-lasting opportunities and relationships with the companies that are creating, um, building, delivering, and then distributing the technologies that we're using on a day-to-day in our practices. How did that how did that start for you? Like how did you first get involved in working with the companies that again are creating the technologies that we're utilizing to care for our patients? Sure. So as you know, Mili, I have an unusual background in that I have a degree as a physician's assistant of ophthalmology, and part of the training was to spend a year externship at Cleveland Clinic. And during that year, uh, I didn't know anything about contact lenses per se, but I was exposed to the first gas permeable lens, CAB, as part of a study and a relationship uh, with a company called Ranco 56. And we were also exposed to working with Hypercurve in the first large diameter overnight wear soft lenses where we were fitting lenses that were 10.1 base curve, 16 millimeter diameter, Mm -hmm. and had a relationship with industry. I just didn't know any different and never have uh, that the ability for eye care professionals from their practice doesn't have to be in a university setting, just from their practice can interact with industry and help them along and guide them in developing really, really good products. It's it's interesting, Craig, you know, uh, industry and the people that work at these companies are so well-intentioned, but the, uh, sometimes they don't have that practical experience, the hands or the the, the feet on the floor working and, and fitting these patients. Sure. So oftentimes they have the maybe the technical knowledge on what's needed, but they don't necessarily know how to translate that into exactly what, what, what we need clinically. So it's, it sounds like, Craig, it was almost born out of necessity. You were working with these companies. You were kind of um, helping them with their clinical trials, and you were actually an active participant working with patients in these trials. Um, tell us then how that, that evolved, because again, you were seeing patients for um, decades, Craig, and, sure. and tell us how that, that relationship evolved. Sure. So, so what happened after um, about four years at Cleveland Clinic, I wanted to raise a family in a smaller community. And um, moved here to South Bend and joined a multi-specialty clinic with a group of ophthalmologists. And right from day one, they were very interested in having me have the opportunity to continue that work with industry and look at products. Of course, it helped position the practice nicely in the community because we were bringing to market things that were different and unusual. And plus, it was very interesting to be able to be ahead of the game. Mele, you know as well as anybody else in the industry, not only for yourself, but for your patient base to know that they're trying things that other people are not Mm -hmm. is a really great way to differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, Craig. You know, one of the things that people are are always surprised at is when they're offered the opportunity to be involved in trials. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, when you're in a smaller town, I think there may be certain perceptions that patients have and and it does elevate you in the eyes of the patient. But in that same respect, there's something internal, I think, Craig, you can relate to this as well, too, that, that drives you, that, that 
that extra level of curiosity that yeah. that can't be shut off. Some refer to it as a disease, uh, but you just keep thinking and thinking and thinking about what's the next step? How can we make this better? And even sometimes when you're involved in trials, you're already thinking a step, two, three steps ahead to, I know what we need to do the next time to actually sure. make this better. And you know what else I, I think and believe in? You actually do this yourself, you and Dave, when you're involved as advisors to companies is that you have to have the ability to tell companies when they're headed in the wrong direction and not to just be a yes person and say, this is the greatest thing ever and so on. But they really need that input from people in the trenches. When you do controlled clinical studies, it's not the real world. When you take the next step to studying it post, let's say either post or pre-approval, it's really that patient care uh, aspect of it that needs to be related to the company so they understand what's going on. Yeah, I agree, Craig. Now, now you have really kind of you've been in the you've been so pivotal in the industry, Craig, for so long that it's kind of like uh, people don't ask anymore. Like, so we're working with Craig Norman. Do you know who that is? They just kind of say it. They just kind of say the name and they assume that 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 people know you kind of like Tom Cruise. You wouldn't ask it. Hey, do you know who Tom Cruise is? He's this actor in this movie. I mean, they just they just know it. And that's that's what your name is in the eye care space and in particular the specialty lens space. So, Craig, I, I have a little bit of a tougher challenge for you here. So let's say, for example, somebody comes up to you at Global Specialty Lens Symposium next year or whenever we kind of go live again and they say, Craig Norman, I was one of your students. I saw what you did. This research facility that you created at uh, or helped facilitate at uh, Michigan College of Optometry, just awesome. What you've been involved in is just just great. I I want to pursue this. What what steps would you offer them, provide them, or what advice would you give to somebody interested in doing that and creating those uh, relationships with these companies? Well, I think the first thing is to to be very um active in pursuing it with the companies and to let them know that you're available and that uh, you have an interest in helping them work out what is happening with their uh, products and helping to improve them. The second part is to actually set the practice up so it can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have the ability, maybe not in the beginning, to have a full-time clinical coordinator, but to have some staff member that's appointed as a clinical coordinator, Mm -hmm. That's perfectly set up because the data gathering can happen and somebody can interact with the companies, you know, other than the eye care professional. Yep. And then the uh, next thing, I think, is to ensure that you develop the patient base to be able to deliver what they need. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that I'm sure we're the same thing for you in Ohio and the practice that you built. You have a large cadre of patients who are studied like patients and want to be involved in things and are really pivotal because they know um, when things are not right to be able to relay that to you as you're trying to gather that information for the companies. And then last but not least is to make sure you deliver whatever it is that you promised the company on time. Yeah. I think, Craig, those three pieces of advice would be good just life lessons and life instructions for anybody kind of starting in the eye care profession. Yeah. Well, Craig, I really want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your advice. I want to thank you for the discussion. Um, we, we could go on for another hour. Um, 
I appreciate your time, appreciate your perspective as always. And uh, thank you audience for joining us here today on the OI show. Make sure to subscribe to us. Make sure um, you like us on our Facebook page and make sure you subscribe to the actual show as well too. And we'll make sure we have show notes with links to the museum as well too. Once again, Craig, thank you and appreciate your time. Amelia, uh, this is great. Good luck to you and Dave and Optometric Insights. Keep up the great work. Thanks, thanks Craig.